Well, today we're starting a new series that will bring us right up to April 9th, right before Easter. We're going to do Palm Sunday and Easter uh, season together. But we're going to do a four-week series foundationally around how we love our neighbors, how to love your neighbor. And this comes from uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. It's one that we read quite a bit because it teaches us something that's very important. In fact, Jesus said the greatest command and how they come together and apply to our lives. So let's read it, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other, and I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this powerful passage that teaches us about the priorities of what it means to respond to you. How we live our lives is so important. What's important to us is so important. So, Lord, guide us in this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're entering into this season, we've been focusing this spring around the idea that uh, we really desire our, our friends, our family members, to know God through Jesus Christ, and that often that the way in which that happens is through us. And, and this season that we're talking about the next four weeks as we go into the Easter events that we have planned, which we call day one, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to tell other people about Jesus, the very crux of loving our neighbor. And that is, uh, I think, a challenge for all of us, how we communicate the gospel. But part of the process that we have chosen, which is a very biblical process, is that if we pray... And if we prepare, that God will provide. So if we simply pray for our loved ones and believe that God would bring him to himself and there'll be opportunities to do that, that'll be important. So we've begun these cards. So how many of you grabbed a card last week? Raise your hand up high. Great, great. These cards are an opportunity for for writing down names of people that your heart is kind of concerned for. You hope that they draw into a deeper relationship with God or come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so we've begun a prayer process in which all during the week, there are prayer meetings that are going on in different places. And those prayer meetings are just opportunities to come together and pray for our names. How many of you did not get a card last week? Raise your hand. So ushers are going to see these hands and come give you guys a card. So just hold it up until they come by and they can give you a card. And my challenge to you is just simply write down a few names on there that uh, that are kind of on your heart. 
right? We have 10 spots on there. I have, I have six on mine that I've been praying for. Uh, we as a staff actually went through and made a big list earlier in this year of people that we're praying for. And so I just challenge you in the next weeks ahead, look at these prayer meetings and, and find an opportunity to go to one. They're all in somebody's house. They're, they're led by you, people in the congregation, not by staff. And all we're doing is getting together, spending an hour, it's one hour, just praying for each other's names. And, and I believe that prayer is very powerful, right? It's foundational. So prayer, the second is preparation. Many of you have already gone through the follow series seminar. How many of you have gone through the follow seminar already? Raise your hand. All right, we've got close to 50 in the room that, that have gone through it. And uh, if you're interested in going through it with us on Sunday, March the 19th, we're going to be having another opportunity uh, for you to go through that seminar. And basically what it is is how to one-on-one disciple somebody. How can you share your faith and also walk with somebody in those weeks afterwards? Or maybe they have an interest. How do you walk with someone? And so we want to pray, we want to prepare, and believe that during this season, so many of our loved ones, people we care about, will come to the Lord. And that is the heart of how to love our neighbor. And this week, we're going to be continuing in those prayer meetings. So please, find, find an opportunity to go to them. How to love your neighbor. We see that in this commandment that's really important. Really important to put the focus on there. When my wife and I were first dating, we were living in Springfield, Missouri. Christine was working, living in this little nasty apartment. The worst neighborhood in Springfield, right? But cheap, right? It was really inexpensive. Uh, and and I was, I was going to school, and we were both working really hard. So we didn't have really that much money when we went on a date. We would go to Chili's because they had bottomless chips and salsa. Anybody do that before, right? We would each get a root beer, and we'd have chips and salsa, and we'd stay like three hours, right? Just, <laughs> lady just kept bringing chips, right? And then from there, we would walk next door to a Barnes & Noble, right? And we would just walk around Barnes & Noble for two hours. It cost you nothing, right? You don't even have to buy a book. Just take one off the shelf, sit down and read, you know? And uh, I didn't understand the, the quantitative income from, from Barnes & Noble because we never bought anything there. We just walk around and read. But it's interesting, I was always, obviously I was going to Bible college at the time down there, so I was interested in their theology section and their Bibles and some of those things, some history stuff. But I was also kind of drawn to this self-help section, which interestingly, if you've ever been to like a Barnes and Noble or something, it's like, it's like five aisles long, right? It's everything you need help on, they've got a book for right? You want to start a business, right? You want to retire early. You want to start coding. You, you want to do anything, there's a book for it. And there was something inside of me that was always drawn to that. You know, the, the organizational development stuff and the leadership development that was really important to my, to my pastoring kind of mind. And, and I was always drawn to this, I, I want to get better. I, I want to grow. I want to expand who I am. And and it's interesting because I, I really do believe that a lot of us are drawn to the things of God because we know that, that there's something within the teachings of Jesus Christ and having the Holy Spirit in our hearts that makes us better. Right? And the focus really becomes upon me. I know when I come in, it's about my experience on a Sunday morning. When I open my Bible, it's about the experience of bringing the Word into my mind and finding application in my life. It really is about, about me. 
But as we read these scriptures about the greatest commandment, it's interesting. It's got very little to do with me. It has to do with my love to God and my love to my neighbors. It is about an outflow of what's inside of me, not what I can gain from it, right? And it's interesting because there are a lot of things Jesus could have said in this period, and it really was not about what we can gain, what we get out of it. We are interested in meaning. We're interested in purpose. We're interested in growing. But the greatest command is about giving something out of ourselves. In the, in the 70s and 80s, there's a little catchphrase around someone who comes to God, or, or you even see terms in Scripture like being born again or getting saved. But there was a terminology that's really not in the Bible, but it's become really a catchphrase upon that whole experience, and it's called having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever heard that before? Right? I've heard it. I love that statement. Right? But I think it's just a little, a little tainted a little bit. Because what it kind of teaches, and even that statement, uh, the, the value in it, the good things. I'll go good things first. The good thing is that that is our responsibility to respond to the gospel. Not because your parents did, or not because you, you ascribe to some thought pattern. It's our personal responsibility to connect with Jesus. So that, I like that idea, right? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But hey, the gospel is not meant to be personal. It's meant to be relational. It's meant to be relational here. It's meant to be relational with our neighbors. It's meant to be outside of ourselves. And the proof of our relationship with God is actually how we care for each other. It is about love. It is about how we get out of ourselves. And loving God first came, and then after that was how we loved each other. So the big question, who's our neighbor? I know pastor has used this language in the past, your circle of influence. The people that you're connected with is actually your neighbor. Sometimes we hear neighbor, we actually think physical household, right? I was just talking with Barb this morning because Barb's our physical neighbor. And about every other day we see Barb and Bob and Pickles. Right? Pickles is a dog. That's not their child or something. <laughs> Pickles is a dog. And, and so they're our physical neighbor. But neighbor is actually much farther than that. Right? Uh, it's your circle of influence. It's the people that you touch every single day. It's the people you love, the people you care for, the people you work with, these valuable people, and also these people that you don't like very much. How many of you, how many of you know what it means that you, you have hard people in your life, right? Difficult people. All right, look around. Right? If you don't have your hand up, it could very well be you're the difficult person. Just saying. We all have these people in our lives that are hard. They are your circle of influence, and they are the people to love, right? And the reason, the reason why we have difficult people to love in our lives is because we are difficult to love ourselves, right? Sometimes I make it hard on God to love me, right? but he still loves me. He is our model. So today, I just want to buzz through this, this verse, and I want to really talk about the importance of relationships in communicating the love of God. The importance of relationships. 
So we're going to be talking about the motivation for loving our neighbor, the model, model for loving our neighbor that Jesus gives, but also the modifications in our lifestyles to truly love our neighbors. So if you're keeping track or taking notes, motivation, model, modifications, that's kind of cool. It all starts with them. So modif- the, the motivation for loving our neighbor, Mark chapter 12, what we've already looked at, says that the second and equal importance is love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to, to love people that are not easy to love, and even the people that we do care for very much, do we have enough love to go around? The gospel is all about caring for people. It's all about connecting with people. And 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter on love, which seems to make its way into all of our, our weddings, right? I'll read it, but I want you to, to look at the, the, the parts of this scripture that is a contrasting. So if you love, it's one way, but if you don't, it's, it's kind of like this. So well, let me read it. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. In other words, I'd be offensive. If I didn't love, I'd be offensive. If I had the gift of prophecy and I, and if I had understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I'd have nothing. So spiritual power, yet if you did not love, nothing. Verse 3, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I did not have love, I would have gained nothing. There it is again. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love loses, it never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love and not personal development is the focus of our lives. But here's the thing. When we love others, we grow. It's not about what we do. It's about how we love each other. The scripture just said it. You could be a great spiritual leader, and great miracles happen as a result of you. But if you don't have love, you're offensive. Right? So it's great that we can spiritually grow and we come, become great spiritual leaders, but it still is about the relationship. It's not about what we look like, or even for that matter, act like. It's whether we truly love and care for each other. Shortly after we began pastoring in Kiev, uh, we were a small church at the time, and, and uh, this gentleman started attending the church, and I was, I was maybe 33, 34 years old, and... Uh, um, he was, well, he was very influential. He had held a large, a high political position in the United States for years. After retired, was working USAID overseas, um, had the ear of, of high government officials in Ukraine and in the United States, and he attended our church. And for some reason, every Sunday morning, right after service, he had to tell me something I did wrong. How many of you have had these kind of quality people in your lives? Right, And I tell you what, as a young pastor, when this guy came to me and, and would do that, I, I took it very personal, right? And, and you know, I'd go home on a Sunday afternoon, even though it might have been 
you know, wonderful service, but he'd say something, and it was just like, ugh, right? And after a while, I started realizing I need to consider the source regardless of who he was. He just was a complainer. One Sunday, he, he said to me, I've noticed you've stopped wearing a suit on Sunday morning. And I said, well, yeah. I said, most of the people in the room don't own suits. And I feel like I, I want to connect with people. I don't think that suit's really good. And he said, no, you're wrong. You need to wear a suit because we're trying to pull people up from the low place they are. We need to show them that they can wear a suit too. And I thought, wow. I said, No said, no, we need to love people, not try, to, not try to fancy up the outside. It's about loving people right where they're at. So I never put on a suit again. <laughs> I had to stand my ground. Have you ever felt like, yeah, I, I, I need to love other people. I need the motivation for loving other people, but I just don't have the energy for it. Like, I know that I'm not just supposed to pretend, but I just don't have the energy for you. But here's the thing. You may not have enough love to, God, to give, but God does. You just are the receptacle to give it. So as long as we're loving people out of our own energy... We're going to run out. But when we love people out of God's energy, there's always enough to give around. I like the analogy that are we a tank or a T-fitting? Now, some of you may be not plumbers. I'm not a plumber. But I know what a T-fitting is. You know, liquid comes from one area and it distributes into two other areas. So it kind of separates into other areas right from one source. And so water comes one way and goes out. We should be like a T-fitting. We receive the love of God. We fill our lives up with the love of God and we give it out. Or are we a water tank that it's just for me to gain, right? My love, my love, my love. I need to feel the love and I give nothing out. Well, guess what? It eventually fills up. There's no new love coming in. So we are able to love others because God loved us first, right? We love out of an outflow of his love for others, not out of my love for others. Because frankly, I don't really love everybody. Everybody here I love very much. (laughs) But there have been people in my life that just made it so hard. But if I had God's love to give, there's plenty to give. I love them out of my sense of seeing them with his eyes. So that's really the motivation. We love others because God loved us first. And because he loves everybody, guess what? So do we. He desires all people to come to know him. So that's the motivation. But what's the model for loving our neighbor? It really is around relationships. And that is our conversation today is relationships are the primary way in which we communicate God's love. Let's look at Jesus as the model. Jesus was all about relationships. Mark chapter 2. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that they were coming to him, that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciples, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And Later, 
Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Let me read that again. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? This is an interesting translation. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus surrounded himself with a lot of different people. He had his followers, the disciples, they're always there, but he was always surrounded with people who were less desirable by the, by the religious norm, right? Even one of the, the 12, Levi, who would be Matthew, tax collector. This guy was hated by everybody, but it is in relationships, even in these more difficult relationships, that love truly flows because love is only received in relationships. It's only received in relationships. I'd like to affect a a definition for us real quick because the more and more that I spend time with people, the more and more I realize that the definition of love is sometimes skewed. Guess what? Love is not a feeling. I mean, it may have some feelings attached to it. I really believe in the first years of relationships, infatuation is probably the stronger uh, adjective to define that. Love is a long-term commitment. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And it doesn't always have the good feels. And so for us to be able to love our neighbor, guess what? It is about a commitment to the relationship. It's, it's not always about how I feel. It's about caring for the basic needs of another person in relationship. There's a, a guy by the name of Maslow who had a hierarchy of needs. How many of you have heard the psychological hierarchy of needs? Um, these are the things that he says psychologically People are drawn to more than anything else, and it's usually built in a triangle. At the base of the triangle is this, this, uh, psych, this physiological need, food and water. And so people are drawn first. The basic needs we have is food and water. I don't know if today we're drawn to that basic needs like maybe the ancient world was when they didn't have preservation, when they didn't have banks where they could get their money. It was all about do we have food for now, do we have food today, and clean water. So relationships were always built around a meal that that was really caring for basic needs, right? So we see that meal part. Safety and security is that next part. Love and belonging, self-esteem and self-confidence, and finally this personal growth of self-actualization. But at at the crux of all of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are this sense not only that my basic needs are cared for by someone who cares for me, but also that my life has meaning, that there's a purpose to all of this, and there's a sense that within this relationship, they care about who I am. That it all comes together in that way. And it's in these relationships that we are then able to talk about the things that are most important to us. 
relationships give us an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Our society today sees evangelism as offensive, inappropriate, and even insensitive. And it can be when it's outside of relationship. When we share our faith outside of relationship, it it can be hard for for people to understand it and to, to hear it. But there's a thing called plausibility structures that people have a better sense of understanding something in community than any other place. When we all are together seeking out truth and seeking out God together, guess what? It brings a momentum to the plausibility structure of of ideas when everybody around us is thinking that way. And really that plausibility structure comes first with community, second with experiences, and third with facts or evidence. Historically, how we we share our faith is we tell people about the good news of Jesus, right? And and there's all kinds of ways in which you can do that, but if you don't have a relationship, it kind of feels off, right? I had to take a class. This was a long, long time ago at this college that I was going to at the time before we were in Springfield, and it was a personal evangelism class, and we had to do door-to-door evangelism. How many of you ever knocked on a door? And just told somebody. Like, I think, I think there's a place for that. I mean, culturally, it's not really uh, acceptable. If somebody knocks on your door, you kind of hide now, you know. <laughs> but, but we were taught to, uh, we were taught in the day that you would go door to door. We had as part of our class, door to door, knock on the door, and you say, hi, hello, sir, hello, ma'am. I'm here today. We're taking a poll, right? We have a few questions for you. Um, uh, first question is, you know, have you ever been to a church before? Yes or no? Do you attend one regularly? Yes or no? How many times a year do you attend a church? Uh, and the fifth question is, if you were to die today and stay, stand before a holy God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You can tell I've said that before, right? And guess what? We never even kept the statistics from the poll. It was all about getting to the question. And it really never worked out very well. Why? Because it was important knowledge, important data, and important conversation, but there was no relationship. Right? And community is still the primary way in which trust is built. It's where we grow in relationship. We talk about our experiences. So it's very valuable for somebody to be able to stand up here and I could tell you how I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I could tell you my experiences about how he's transformed my life. I could tell you my experiences how I've seen God heal so many times before. But if I don't have a relationship with you, it may feel like just an act. It's in community, first and foremost, that our plausibility structures come together and how we come to know Jesus more importantly. It comes when we develop trust. There's this idea called relational equity. When we're in a relationship with somebody over time, when we invest in people's lives, when our basic relational needs are fulfilled, trust comes out. Right? Trust comes because I know you. I know your life. I've lived with you. And therefore, I I can trust you, and you can now share data, personal stories, Jesus, because it's a relationship. And we have to move in that place of relationship. 
I was working at Domino's, one of my probably 50 jobs in my life, delivering pizza. And my manager one day said, hey, I'm making some money on the side. I was wondering if you and the guys want to come over and we, you can, I'll show it to you. <laughs> right? Like, show me what to do, right? And so me and my buddy Randy and my buddy Sean and uh, my other guy, four of us, we went to his house and we get there and there's a guy standing there in a suit with an easel. Right? <laughs> Somebody said, oh, no. <laughs> you know exactly where you're going, right? Like, oh, no. <laughs> and now we're in, you know. We're in the room and it was so hard to get out of the room because within about 10 seconds, Randy leans over and says, pyramid scheme. And I, if, if you were interested right now, I could sell you cell phone time really cheap. <laughs> and it was like three hours, right? Now, what, what was the difference? First of all, the product was, was lousy. But second of all, I don't know this guy. There's no relationship there. Have you, ever, have you ever shared your faith and it kind of felt like you were sharing a pyramid scheme? Yeah. Has somebody shared their faith with you and it felt like a pyramid scheme? Part of that is because of the motivation. Right? Motivation of sharing our faith is because I love you. No other reason than that. But because I love you, I want to be in relationship with you. So foundationally, that is not only the motivation and the model, but finally, these modifications that need to come to our life. This is just going to be real practical, and we'll go very quickly through this. Lifestyle adjustments that will provide opportunity to bring people to God. First off, Make Jesus a priority in your thinking, reading, watching, and talking. Make Jesus your everything. It's easy to be in relationships and bring Jesus in the middle of it if Jesus is a part of every part of your life. If Jesus is for Sunday mornings, it's not going to leak into your other relationships. So watch good stuff on TV and read the Bible and think about big ideas and talk about Jesus all the time. And it just kind of overflows naturally then, rather than a sense that I've got a script to read. Expand your circle of influence. Here's the thing. Some of us don't really have a, a circle of influence that has anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Over time, we all, all these church people, right? I love church people, but i got to love beyond the church people. I gotta expand my circle of influence a little bit. I gotta make new friends. Right? Some of you, some of us, right? It's time to make some new friends. Some friends that may be challenging to love and need a little bit of your time. Give them those basic needs. But it really comes down to do I have a circle of influence that actually gives me an opportunity to share the love of Jesus to people who haven't experienced it? So we may have to make new friends. Some of us, that's hard. So we like the friends we have. How many of you, you only need like three friends and you're happy? Okay. It's, it's a personality-driven thing. It's not a judgment thing. But a lot of us, we just need a few people. How many of you can be friends with 100 people at any given time? Yeah, yeah, Doris. Praise God, Doris. We all know Doris and we all know she... Because everybody in the room thinks we're Doris's best friends, right? Because it's true. But sometimes we need to open our circle of influence. Sometimes we need to get out of our cocoon. How many of you 
kind of live in a cocoon after work. Come on, raise your hand, be honest, right? There's only a few things in the cocoon, right? It's a couch, it's dinner, it's your pajamas, and it's Netflix. Do I hear an amen? Guess what's not in your cocoon? Your neighbors. Right? And here's the thing. Our culture drives us to cocoon. You know what's changed culture more than anything else in the United States is air conditioning. How many of you grew up with a porch outside your house that everybody sat on? You know why people don't sit on their porch in the summer? Because it's hot. And we go inside and we close the windows and we get the air conditioning cranked up and nobody talks to anybody on the street anymore. So yeah, culture changes in a lot of subtle ways, ways we can't control. The problem is sometimes we need to jump out of culture and say, you know what, maybe I don't need the subscription to six streaming services. And cable. Maybe I need to change... My lifestyle. Stop cocooning and actually get out of my house and connect with people. Next, serve people and let them serve you. It's very easy for us to get a service to do things for us, right? You need something done, call somebody that you can pay to do it. Or talk to your neighbor to come over and help you, right? In the past, that's what we did. We helped each other. How in the world does somebody move from one house to another without a church? I have no idea. I've moved several people here already, you know. And you get there and there's all these church people show up. What does somebody do who doesn't have a church? You pay somebody to come and move you. Why is that? Because we have neighbors. But here's the thing. When we serve basic needs of other people, there's a relationship of trust that's developed. When I need my couch moved, when my, I get a flat tire, I can call people. And they should be able to call me. So serving people with their ultimate needs is very important. And, and this, I, I end with this, the final idea about how we can change our lifestyle and make adjustments. Merge your worlds. Right? You've got this world of people who don't know Jesus that you interact with maybe on a daily or weekly basis. They know you, you're good friends, and you've been able to share basic needs with them, and you're, you, you live life, and you tell jokes, and you laugh, and you eat lunch with them. And then you have this other, this other world, which is the church world, and you do the same things with them. The basic needs are being met. You love them. You care for them. You eat lunch with them. You drink a lot of coffee afterwards and talk about your week with them. Take those two worlds, bring them together. Let's take some intentionality. Because what that does is it creates an entire community together of just loving people. And in relationship, sharing Jesus. Has anybody ever heard of a Venn diagram before? It's when two circles interact with each other and there's an overlapping area. Wouldn't it be amazing if all of our circles of influence had these great places of overlapping and it's not in this building? 
great, it's great over a barbecue, right? It's great over a graduation party. It's great over getting people together and have a board game night. It's, it's great when all of these circles of influence get a chance to come together and our communities come together and in those places we can share the love of Jesus whether we ever tell them, you know, if you're standing before a holy God and ask him why I should let me into heaven, what would you say? You don't have to say that stuff. You can just live it and love it and care for people where they are and then give the opportunity to say, Jesus made all the difference in my life. But it really has the greatest power in relationships. I end with this story. A friend of ours, her name is Dawn, started something years ago, and it went on for years. don't even know what's going on anymore because I haven't seen Dawn in years. She started Taco Tuesday. How many of you love Taco Tuesday? Come on. God, God made Taco Tuesday. That's the eighth day, by the way. She started serving tacos in her garage on Tuesday. She put some meat together and some stuff, and she invited her neighbors and her church friends and people around. On Tuesday, everybody just come over to my house. If you're going to sports or you're going anywhere, just come on over. There's tacos for the kids. Kids from the neighborhood just come over, grab a taco, and they'd leave. Right? This went on for years. That and, and neighbors and church people would all come together. Well, guess what happens at Taco Tuesday? People from church talk with neighbors down the street. People from from Kiwanis Club or people who, you know, play, play bridge together. I don't know if anybody plays bridge. But worlds collide. And we just say, you know what, I, I need to maybe change my lifestyle a little bit to be able to have those relationships in which I can share my faith. And it may be maybe some big changes in your life. But how else do we love? How else do we truly love? Worship team, if you come, stand with me. I'm going to ask one simple question. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how to love our neighbors, how to really share the love of God in our lives for other people. I'd just like you to do something really super practical and super individual, right? This is something all yours. I would like you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a plan to love your circle of influence. Very simple. Your plan, not my plan. So everybody close your eyes and we're just going to, as music is playing, begin to give the Lord permission to be creative inside your mind and your heart. People that maybe I need to bring into my circle. People I need to have more of a an influence on, ways in which I can merge my worlds, ways in which I can change my lifestyle and my hobbies and my cocooning so that I can bring. But your life is very unique, and let's let the Holy Spirit give you creativity. There was a time when information was enough because everybody knew about the Bible. That day is not around anymore. Today, you are the Bible for people. Your life is the Bible. So what are the relationships God is calling you to? You wrote a bunch down on a card already. Right? Oh God, would you use us?